Well, I hated to miss Mother's Day last week with most of you. Um, I was supposed to be gone uh, on a trip to go see Ginger's parents uh, last week, and yet, because for four years in a row, we've tried to, I've tried to get Ginger with her mom on Mother's Day, and last year there was like this COVID thing that kept it from happening, and then this year, um, one of our kids gets the flu right before we're going, so we had to miss again, so I did what I know all of you do. On Saturday, when you realize you're going to be here Sunday when you thought you weren't going to be here, and that is I sent a text to the children's ministry and said, hey, I'm available tomorrow morning uh, if you need me to serve in any way as a fill-in. And so I got to serve last week <coughs> one of the services, second service, with the older ones. And uh, that is my target audience right there. Let me just tell you. <clears throat> they were fascinated. Last week's discussion was on the church in, in the early church in Antioch. And I unfolded, I unpacked a lot of that for them. And uh, at one point, I thought, well, I think one of them would stop crying. Like, I think he was so fascinated by it that he actually, he actually stopped crying for a minute. So it was, um, it was, it was a great experience. I would, I would love to encourage you, just so you'll know, church, there is nothing, there are no COVID restrictions in place when it comes to children's ministry right now. Um, and so <clears throat> the only thing that's keeping us from doing uh, more, even more opportunities for children's ministry it's people stepping in. And so uh, luckily, and let me just tell you, um, they will make it easy on you if I can do it. I mean, I had Anna Birch there to kind of, you know, make sure I didn't do anything terribly wrong. And I think Rebecca checked in on us a little more often than she does the average class since I was in there. I think, it, and Jared too, they would like, y'all, y'all still good. Chris is still okay. So um, we, we made it through. It, it is, it's an awesome thing to do. And I think it is um, as we talk about investing in eternity and experiencing the inheritance uh, kept in heaven for us, um, man, I would really encourage you to find ways to invest in the next generation of believers um, with what they're going to face, making sure they hear the gospel and experience that um, in new ways. So um, I'd love to encourage you with that. It was great. Um, I know for many of you, Mother's Day is the hardest day to come to church. It's the hardest day to be a part of church. Um, that's really common. And so for those of you who <laughs> were able to, to do it and make it and, and get here, um, and congratulations, and we're proud of you. And for those of you who, who couldn't make it um, here or online or whatever, we get it. It's, it's tough. That's why we have that prayer time in there for all moms um, who face different things, the different challenges, and to recognize um, that what it means, what we believe it means to be a mother is someone who exemplifies the maternal traits of God. And so most of us need hundreds of different mothers in our lives to fill in all the gaps. No one woman, um, no matter how fantastic she was, could possibly exemplify all the maternal traits of God um, perfectly. And so um, we, we all need that. We need teachers and leaders and guides and, 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 and people who are going to be teaching us on Sunday mornings and during the week and during school and, and mothers and grandmas, all of that. And we all need that. And so I hope, I hope you continue to step in. Everybody continues to do that. Um, it's, it's just a huge blessing. And since I wasn't here, I don't know if anybody else um, said this last week because <laughs> I, I didn't get to hear the entire service, um, but the, uh, again, the reminder that we are blessed to have these children, um, to have these children in our, in our church, um, in our congregation. We see it as a huge blessing. And so, again, I'd love to remind you, when, when children make children noises and when they do children things, um, that's a reminder that we are blessed. It's not something for us to be angry or edgy about. <laughs> if you're one of those people who, who, because we're at church, you have a temptation to cut your eyes over to some young mom with her kids who are making kids' noises, I submit to you that you're the one with the problem, and you need to deal with whatever's going on in your heart. So I would encourage you to say, like, this is, this is important. This is, 
this is good. We want these kids here. There are many churches that would give anything to have children in their church again. Um, and so we see it as a huge blessing. Um, another couple of points of interest. One, <coughs> um, in case you see this guy wandering around, uh, I think we've got a pick. There he is right there. That's, this is John Sturrock. He's back. He's been on sabbatical for four weeks, I know. <coughs> he managed to time his sabbatical to end the day before staff retreat began. So that's all you need to know about John. That's right. That, that's, he nailed it. So, um, so, uh, so that was a great, we had a great staff retreat as well. But if you, again, if you see him wandering around campus, he's supposed to be here. That's, that's allowed. Um, uh, it's great to have him back. And, um, and again, it is also, also want to say thank you to the congregation that this is the type of congregation and the type of leadership that would allow the staff and send the staff and eagerly send the staff to go on retreat together to develop the kind of friendships that really are necessary when you're working in ministry like this. Um, and so I very much so I'm, I'm proud and, and brag on you guys as a church all the time about that kind of stuff. I greatly appreciate it. And I know that there are plenty of ministers out there and pastors who don't have those luxuries to really grow those opportunities, those common experiences to build those friendships. So again, thank you for that. And we had a, we had a great time and a, a, an encouraging and challenging time as well. Finally, I think it's appropriate for us to mention um, this week represented the anniversary of Israel becoming a nation in 1948. And they're facing uh, right now and an, an cyclical but high level of conflict right now going on in Israel, as most of you probably are aware. Um, I really want to pray for them. Uh, I would say, I mean, it's interesting, one of the, um, uh, a gentleman by the name of Balfour, who's one of the architects of Israel becoming a nation again, um, once jokingly said, I just wish the Jews and the Arabs would learn to get along like good Christian gentlemen. Um, and and the, um, though that's tongue-in-cheek, the truth is, as we are sophisticated in our understanding not only of Scripture but of politics and of understanding the perspective of that part of the world, it's important to recognize, having been there enough times, there are no innocent parties in Israel. There are no groups of people who they are lily white and without sin. Every party that's there, the Christians, the Jews, the Muslims, the Arabs, um, every group has done wrong to every other group, and every group has legitimate gripes. What they need is, is not the peace that the United States could bring them. What they need is the peace that Jesus can bring, um, just like we do here. We don't, we're not standing on some high moral ground and going, hey, because we don't have any turmoil and conflict in our nation, we're looking down on you having it in your nation. Um, the truth is, um, we, we really do need to recognize the reminder once again that what we need is an external force. We need a Savior to come in from the outside, and, uh, and that's what Jesus has done. And so I want to pray for peace the peace of Jerusalem, not merely the political peace, but, but actually the awakening that we need as well. So join me, please. Father, we are so grateful um, that you sent a blessing into the world through your people, uh, the people of Israel. Lord, your son came from that culture, from that ethnicity, from that history, and it helps us to understand the perspective uh, of you being a God who has chosen a people to be a blessing to the whole world. And though as humans, they and we are unable to pull that off, the truth is the power of your Son, your Son is a blessing to the whole world. And that's who we need. We need more of your Son, Jesus, in our lives here. We need, it in, we need Him in our lives as individuals, in our families and friendships. Lord, we need more of your Son in our church. We need more of Him in our community, in our nation, and in our world. And I pray especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ, Jews and Arabs, um, who know your Son and who follow your Son, and they typically face persecution from every direction in that part of the world. I pray a special blessing on them and a special opportunity 
for them to be able to teach about the peace, the shalom that passes our understanding. And so I pray this for our friends and brothers and sisters there, the teachers, the missionaries, the seminary professors, and the others who we know um, who are facing this. We pray for our world. Even so, Lord, come quickly. Amen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. This passage that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, I want to continue to unpack. Here we have the world's version of an inheritance, the inheritance that the world can give, um, are the opposite. They're described in the opposite ways, not imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, but dying, tainted, and fading away. Consider the, the inheritance that the world has to offer, like money. Money is something that can be stolen from us or lost by us, or even as we look around right now, if you, again, if, you, if you're putting your trust in money, the fact that we are right now experiencing that a dollar can be worth less one day than the day before should be enough to show us that's a foolish thing to put too much trust in. You literally can experience the inflation, meaning the devaluation, meaning literally what my dollar that I'm putting my trust in can do is less than what it could do before. This happened in different times, in different cultures, in different ways, but it's yet another reminder to us, oh yeah, if I'm putting my trust in this, listen, my security, my confidence, my faith, I'm placing it in that dollar, the dollar will fade. It is tainted, it is perishing, it always will be, and so as an investment, it has a great limitation. It's not eternal. Another one that strikes me is the idea of status. Status is another thing that the world can promise you, that the world can offer you. It's an inheritance the world can give you. But it goes away so fast. It fades so quickly. How many of us can name our great-grandfather or our great-great-grandmother? Most of us can't. No one else can. No one can name my... If I can't name my great-great-grandfather, you probably can't, right? And yet, so everything he accomplished in life and all of his status and whatever he or she made, whatever they accomplished in this world that they invested in this world, we've all forgotten about it. That's how long that status lasts. One generation, maybe two, if you're lucky. Um, I don't remember how this came up, but the example was so good, and I wrote it down, and, and I'm coming back to it. Considering status, so even those handful of people who really do make it big, and we still talk about them generations later, someone like Marco Polo, right? Some of you know who Marco Polo is, the Venetian world explorer, the author from the 1200s, traveled all the way from Europe to Asia. It's a brilliant story, an incredible human being. But most of you know him as a swimming pool game, right? <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's what has happened to his status. Some of you know that he's an app, right? Some of you have Marco Polo as the app. That's what, you, that's what he's known for. That's what has happened to this status of truly one of these great people in history, <coughs> imagine if all of your hope and faith is built on the fact that the world reveres you, what does it accomplish for you when they start tearing down your statues and carving you out of history books and changing things so that you never existed? There's status for you. What the world has to offer you in status, the world will take away from you in status. And even if they don't defile it, it's going to fade. These are the type of inheritance the world has to offer, and for these people sell their soul. They gain the world, lose eternity in it. Power or attractiveness, which dies with you and typically long before you die. 
These are things that the world says are worthwhile inheritance, and they're not. Um, I love weddings. Weddings are awesome experiences at the same time. Uh, funerals, I learn a lot at funerals. And, and this, the new thing this kind of that's been going on the last, I don't know, maybe the last 10 years or so, where it's become really common for people to slow, show a slideshow of photos of the person who's died. Have y'all, y'all been to funerals and seen these? Have you, is anybody else caught off guard or stunned by the fact that every old man was once a young stud? Anyone, anyone, like they, they always show that one shot and you're like, oh my gosh, wow, that was, he was a stud. Man, look at, and every old woman was once a pinup model. Everyone. There's always a photo somewhere and you're like, wow, look at her, right? This is, this is the, the beauty that fades. The truth is whatever we invest in, whatever we invest in here on earth, it's fading and it's defiled and it's tainted and it's going away. And Peter is offering us something better. Nothing, by the way, there's nothing wrong with money, status, or attractiveness, or power. Those are not inherently evil. They are just defiled and fading and perishing. Just recognize that. We talk over, you hear me say it over and over again, and you will over and over again. It is amazing to me that humanism is on the rise right now. I don't know if I'm more offended by that as a theologian or more offended by that as a psychologist. It is stunning to me that human beings cannot look around and see what a hopeless race we are when it comes to solving our own issues. It is staggering to me. I said in the first service, listen, just randomly pick a YouTube channel, watch it for 15 minutes. If your faith in humanity is not dead at that time, then you're missing something significant. Like, it is, it is stunning to me to, that still human beings are going, no, I think, I think we're our best hope. I just, I just can't imagine it. It's like they've never met a human. I will, I will ask, say, I've used this example again, so I'll, but I'll, just to make sure you get this in your mind, how many of you have ever made the declaration before God and man that I'm only going to have one donut? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to have one. And then you ended up having two or more. That's where you're putting your faith? In that, and those people. We'll talk more about this. This is, this is significant now, but we get a chance to invest in things that are eternal. Marriage, for example, is a living parable of God's love for His people. When we can invest in marriages, ours and other people's, we're investing in something that though the marriage itself is not eternal, apparently, the parable is Parenting, exemplifying the maternal and paternal traits of God. I don't know what the relationship between parent and child is for eternity. The Bible doesn't speak directly to that, but I do know that the exemplified traits of Almighty God are eternal. And when we rescue people and bring them into that, friendship is eternal. The relationships, the bonding together of the Jesus and me and the Jesus and somebody else, that relationship is eternal. These are things that we can invest in. His eternal church made up of His eternal people, studying His eternal Word. So I want to invite you, as Peter does, into a living hope and into an inheritance, a special kind of inheritance. So let's take a second. They got this right in the first service, so pop quiz. When you're thinking like a Jew, when you have a Jewish perspective, remember we try to do that regularly here, when you have the Jewish perspective, what is the word inheritance reference? So for the Jews, when they talk about their inheritance, what do they mean? Hmm? The promised land. That's right. It's the promised land. That's what they think of as, as eternal, as the eternal um, inheritance that they have. 
Thinking like a Jew, the first, the land, a home, a home that will never perish, that will never be ruined, that will never fade in beauty. Notice that even though, even that though, the promised land, even God's promise to his people, which they have never fully experienced, because it is, in fact, also defiled and perishing and fading. Nothing on earth can, can protect from those things. It has to be something else. So Peter continues, these, these things that he promises, this inheritance is, quote, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. <coughs> Notice in this passage, God's power is the source for the faith that guards this inheritance. This inheritance that's kept in heaven. Incidentally, it seems that the linkage here is that the inheritance is kept and the heirs, that's us, are guarded. Many authors, when, you, when you, they write commentaries about this passage, they note the imperative here for our faith, who through God's power are being guarded through faith. That's important. At the same time, notice that this inheritance guarded through faith, Peter is going to intertwine the two concepts that are complementary that we often want to treat as contradictory. It's intriguing that we constantly want to pit them against each other, God's power and our faith. I can't find any place in Scripture where they're pitted against each other. They're always complementary. They're always put together. God's power expressed through our faith is what Peter's talking about here. Once again, as a good ancient Jewish thinker, I want to go back to the giving of the land to God's people to show how this works. Ready? So in Genesis 13, 17, the God, is, God is talking to Abraham. This is around 2000 B.C., so 4,000 years ago-ish. And God says, Arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So notice the, the combination, the complementary attitude of God's power, I will give it to you, and Abraham's faithfulness, walk on it. Go step your foot on it. Get walking, because whatever you walk on, I'm going to give you. So sure enough, Abraham traveled from place to place and built an altar to God in each of these places. Later, God reiterates the same words 700 years later when he's talking to Joshua. Listen to it here. This is in Deuteronomy 11, 22 through 24. For, you be, for if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I have commanded you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all His ways and holding fast to Him, then the Lord will drive out these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Verse 24, every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to, the Lebanon, to Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates to the western sea. So again, notice the pattern. Whose power? God's. Whose faith? Joshua's and the people. God's power is the source of the faith and the empowerment of the faith that they can then practice and live out. They can walk on this land. These different words are, are really cool words <coughs> from 1 Peter. The word keep, kept in heaven for you, to maintain an eye on, to be monitored, to watch over kept in heaven for you. I think this is a cool picture. It, it struck me, it reminded me of like how we do handle with little kids. Um, and so that God is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to that. I'm going to hold on to that myself. That inheritance for you, I'm just going to hold on. It's like, 
You know, if you have a, if you, if your grandparents or, or kids' grandparents give the child something very nice and expensive and fragile for Christmas, right? So the kid opens up a box and there's, I don't know, great grandmother's china doll or something. And what, as a parent, what immediately do you do? You're like, uh, you know what? I'm going to hold on to that, right? I think I'm going to, I'm going to maintain. I'm going to, I'm just going to keep that, right? What do you, what do you do when you've got a, you know, a four-year-old? And, and grandma gives them a little card. They open up the card, and there's a $20 bill in it. What do you do? You confiscate that thing, right? <laughs> Tell you what, I'm going to just hold on to that. Because you don't have a four-year-old wandering around with a $20 bill. It's, it's worth too much. It's too, it's too important. It's too valuable. Again, this is that same concept, kept in heaven for you, because God is saying, listen, I know you people. And tell you that inheritance, that eternal inheritance, tell you what, let me just let me hold on to that. Let me hold on to that. I'm going to keep it somewhere where it's safe, where it's not in your untrustworthy hands. I'm going to keep it safe from you and you and me. I'm going to keep it safe from all. And, 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 it's, and God's saying, listen, I'm, I'll tell you what. You know what? Let me hold on to that. Again, the idea that we as humans would somehow be capable of holding on to that. That you would say, you know where I want my faith to be kept? Is in the hands of somebody who can't say no to a second donut. That's what I want. Someone who would say, you know what, here's how much I'm going to work out this year. Here's how, here much, here's how much money I'm going to save this year. Here's, I'm not, you know what, I'm not going to use a credit card again. I'm, no more credit card. No more. Who makes statements like that, oaths before God, with God as my witness, I will have only one donut, and then we have two. And some part of us thinks, yeah, that's a good, that's, mm-hmm, that's where I want to keep something important, is with those people. That's us. Don't fall for it. Humanism is, should be one of the biggest jokes out there. This idea that humanity is where we place our faith is foolish. And, and the idea that we would want to store it ourselves, and I think that really does come down to the issue for so many of us. is like, no, no, I'll hold on to that. I can handle that. My faith is sufficient. My merit is good enough. My understanding is good enough. All of you who are teachers out there, you know this perfectly well. If you're an adult, you should know this that your level of certainty is no predictor of you being right. Anybody ever caught that about yourself? That you are absolutely sure about something and you're also wrong. Every teacher who's marked tests wrong. All my teachers from the past would say, yes, Chris can be very, very certain and still be completely wrong. This is important for us to understand. It's also guarded, by the way. We are guarded. The airs are guarded. This is a military term. It's similar to like a wall of soldiers. It's similar to like the, the phalanx, the idea that what, with the symbol that I use for men's ministry of, of a shield wall of soldiers. It's though attacked, it is defended and well defended. What is this defended by? God's power expressed in our faith. Our faith, our trust. Salvation here is a focus on deliverance. So in 1 Peter, when you're talking to a persecuted church, Peter's not merely talking about eternal salvation, although I do believe that's the fundamental. He's talking about deliverance in general. Deliverance is linked naturally in our minds to eternal salvation, to eternal deliverance. But the focus here isn't just that. It's the deliverance, not just the deliverance from the wrath of God, not just the deliverance from the death of sin, but deliverance within and through and sometimes from the persecution of the world, the troubles of the world. Though they, as we're going to study soon, though sometimes it's necessary for us to face those. The truth is we have a faith 
the deliverance requires a faith, a trust, a belief that we're able to continue through the persecutions and the troubles and the trials that we're facing. And, and that type of faith is required. And understand, this isn't, a, this isn't a foolish faith. It's not a blind faith in the way we often mean it. We, so when we use the word blind faith, we usually, we don't mean it biblically. Um, we mean it in the way that Mark Twain talked about. When Mark Twain says, faith is believing what you know ain't so. Um, that's not what we're being asked to do as Christians. We're never asked to believe something that we know isn't true. That can't be possible. That is, that is ridiculous. That's, we're not asked to do that. There are times when we trust the perspective of a God who knows more than we do. That's different. See, we have this whole book called the Bible. And the Bible is a series of, among other things, it's got poetry and, <coughs> and letters and all kinds of stuff. But very often, what it is, is it's argument, it's expression, it's explanation, it's unpacking these ideas so that we can recognize the Christian faith is rational. It makes sense. I'm not stealing the mystery. There's plenty of mystery but the truth is, it makes sense that, that the idea, the gospel presentation, the way the gospel is presented scripturally makes sense. And we're, that's what we're encouraged to believe, to hold on to. It is guarded. It is practical. Well, we depend on God's power for our faith. Something that um, Chris shared when he's teaching, um, when he does uh, uh, worldview conversations, very often his, he will start with the statement, this division, there is a dividing here. Either there is a God and he has spoken or there isn't. If there is a God and God has spoken, you see, we get to rationally accept Him as knowing more than we do. One, we know how limited we are in our understanding. Again, how many different ways can I teach that? One, we recognize that. We humbly are able to experience that. I trust His understanding more than my own understanding. I humbly know the limits of my understanding. I humbly acknowledge that what may seem, listen to this, that what may seem good or right, or even justifiable to me, may in truth be evil, wrong, and wicked. I have believed things were morally good that weren't. That's something that is, we are all capable of. Understa as our understanding of ourselves grows, and our limitations become more clear to us, our commitment to our submission must be all the more ironclad. Again, this isn't irrational or unreasonable. This is like me trusting the math teacher to know more about math than I do. It's like me trusting the surgeon to understand more about taking out my appendix than I do. That is not irrational. It's not unreasonable. There is a God, and God has spoken, and His understanding and perspective is going to transcend mine every single time. That's not blind. It's not foolish. It is reasonable to trust the expert, and God is the ultimate expert. That's what the, the, the writer of the Proverbs wrote a long time ago. Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's a great thing to do, by the way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Every bit of gut energy you've got. Now, by the way, the Hebrew is gut. Everything about you, you go like, you know what? I trust in God. But the writer's not done. There's a positive statement. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Then there's the negative. And stop leaning on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. Listen, we're allowed to have our own understanding. What are we not supposed to do with it? Lean on it. Why? It's bad. That's why our understanding is bad. At best, it is limited. At worst, it's justifiable delusion. You don't lean on something unless it's trustworthy. You don't lean, lean on His understanding, not our own understanding. Well, but I think this shouldn't be sin. I mean, good for you. 
I'm so glad that you don't think it should be. Great. That's awesome. You're allowed to have that. Under, that, that can be your understanding. Don't lean on it because God is the one who understands sin, not you, not me. Well, I don't, I don't think I should have to do this, or I should do this, or I don't want to define this like this, or I don't want to choose this, or I don't want to... Good. Knock yourself out. That's great. Actually, have all the... Don't lean on those because they will break and they will fall and sometimes you see whole cultures fall because they, the culture leans on their own understanding. And all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths, he will make straight your paths. Again, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So here it is, kept in heaven. Kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The Greek word here is, a, is the personification of the sky itself. Um, a kind of what we might say the, the big man upstairs, right? It's the idea of where heaven, where heaven is, the seat, the throne room where God dwells with heavenly beings. It, it language probably meant to express the dwelling place of the invisible spiritual creation and its invisible spiritual God. In other words, it's being kept and guarded in a place that's safe from you and from me. Kept and guarded. That's cool. It's good to know that our inheritance is kept and guarded by a force and a power that transcends us and that has the power to inspire the kind of faith that keep us walking forward. But notice, it's not just kept, it's not just guarded, it is also ready. Ready to be revealed in the last time. It is revealed here. Ready to be revealed means uncovered. It's where we like the word revelation for the, for the last book in the Bible. Or apocalypse is the same Greek concept here. The idea of something that was hidden and is now no longer hidden. Something that was mystery and now isn't mystery. Who, who, who are my other mystery readers in the room? We got any other mystery readers? Okay. If you've not discovered Rex Stout and the Nero Wolf mysteries, I just did you a huge favor. If you're a mystery reader, they're the best. I, I, I stand by that. I love a good mystery novel. Like my, they're my, it's one of my, fav- some of my favorite things to read. I read out loud to Ginger every night. Um, that's how she falls asleep, is me reading to her almost every night. And uh, it's really interesting to do that during a mystery, by the way. She, she has a habit of falling asleep during the re- re- when we reveal, like it's the reveal scene and the murderer, and she'll, I'll realize she's asleep, and I've got to stop too. So now I don't know. I've got to wait another night to find out. But Nero, so Nero Wolf, the, the writer that Rex Stout writes mysteries the way they're supposed to be written, which is you get to the end, and Nero Wolf says, this is the murderer, and you go, well, of course it is, right? Of course, well, now I see it. Well, when you think about it, it's obvious. Look all the way. Oh my gosh, the author told me seven times that the butler did it. And I never, I didn't ever put those pieces together. What? How did I miss this? That's the idea of the revelation. And so that here we are with our limited understanding, with the freedom, because largely of our ignorance, the freedom to deny Christ, the freedom to walk away from Him, the freedom to disobey Him, which is shocking, and, but there's going to come a day when God will reveal Himself for the final time, and He'll reveal Himself, and in His full revelation, all of that freedom is vanished. You're not going to be denying Him when He's standing there like a burning tower in front of you. And so the idea of God revealing Himself fully, and when He does, we'll go, oh, right, that makes sense. I see now, here's why I face this challenge. 
Here's why we face this difficulty. Now I get it. It's like we talked about a few years ago, looking at the back of a, a tapestry that's just random cords going in every direction, and you flip it over and you go, oh, right. Okay, that makes, I get it. That's revelation. Listen to how the Apostle Paul talks about this at the end of uh, the book of Romans, uh, starting at 1625. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret. Hear that? The revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed. And through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is a great mystery, but we have plenty of evidence it all makes sense as the pieces fall together. And someday, when the mystery is ready, the revealer is eager. The revealer is eager, ready, ready to go at any moment. Um, I didn't get to, to, I didn't perform their wedding, but I did the premarital counseling um, for John Dunn and, and uh, um, Hannah Campbell. And uh, so I always do this when I'm doing premarital counseling. One of the last things I will tell the groom right before the wedding ceremony, especially if I'm there, is however nervous you've ever been in your life, okay? However nervous you've been, like, think back, what's the most nervous you've ever been? You're going to be more nervous standing up in front of that church full of people before your bride comes out. During that time when you and I walk on stage and it's just you and me or you and me and a few guys, like, you're going to be, your, your nerves are going to be at, 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 at a 12 out of 10, Okay? So like I have to, and so when I'm there, when I'm the when I'm the pastor in one, I'm constantly talking to the groom. You'll see this now if you ever see one of my weddings. But I'm up there and I'm just I'm just like talking out of the side, like, you're good, 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 keep, keep your knees moving, good, good. Don't lock your knees, you'll fall. I mean, the minute you lock those knees and you're that nervous, you're going down. So it's like, okay, you're good, we're we're okay. And and it's and he's he's seeing all the people out in the audience and he's he's all twitchy and and nervous and all that kind of stuff. And then the doors open and she walks in and his nerves are gone. Everyone in the room ceases to exist. I cease to exist. A few minutes later, when I finally go, I need you to answer after me. He always, they always look, the guy always looks up like, who are you? Who are you? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Where, where do all these people come from? Like he's, <clears throat> he has been focused in, not in, like this is, this is that moment. And once she comes in, once she has been revealed, once the eagerness, he is, Jesus declares himself to be eager like a groom coming to get his bride. John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I'd go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. This is the picture of a groom we don't have time to unpack it right now. I encourage you to go back, look way back a couple of years ago to when we were in John 14 and, and listen to the sermons around the surround John 14. The end of persecution, the end of suffering will come someday when the groom comes back for his bride. No matter what that persecution may be, for us at this stage, maybe it is the persecution of a job or a diploma. That, that we will be, because of if we insist on standing with Christ and His Scriptures, that we will lose opportunities. That if we insist on not partaking in the sins of the world or investing where the world tells us to, that we may lose opportunities. 
And, and that's already happening today in the world for Christians, in, in America for Christians, losing jobs, losing degrees, losing awards, that kind of stuff. It's gonna, that will continue. That pressure will continue. Maybe someday it will be persecution to death. Maybe your career path will be taken from you. There is, there is a relief, there's a deliverance that happens sometimes in the moment where that job is lost and then Christian friends gather around you. When you are stuck and you're not sure what to do, and then godly people speak into you and say, remember who you are. That's a deliverance that Christ sends. But in the end, there is a final one. The true end of persecution, the end of suffering, comes when a trumpet blasts and an inheritance is revealed. I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. Those of you who aren't familiar with screw tape letters, screw tape letters, and I need to unpack this a second. A screw tape letters is a series of letters from a demon to another demon. That the demon is writing to the other demon, the older demon is writing to the younger demon about how to bring down the Christian that he's been assigned. The book ends with the death of the Christian. He dies in the blitz, in the um, bombing of London, the, the Christian does. And, and the letter 28 is is Screwtape, the older demon, talking with the younger demon. It all comes from Screwtape's perspective. I want to read you a C.S. Lewis, but, so keep that in mind. When he refers to the vermin, he's talking about us. He has, no, he has low opinion of humans. But I want to, I want to read to you this passage, because this really ex, screams out to me about the deliverance that God offers. Here's Screwtape writing, How well I know what happened at the instant when they snatched him from you. What he felt at that moment, as if a scab had fallen from an old sore, as if he were emerging from a hideous shell-like tether, as if he shuffled off for good and all a defiled, wet, clinging garment. By hell it is misery enough to see them in their mortal days, taking off dirtied and uncomfortable clothes, and splashing in hot water, and giving little grunts of pleasure, and stretching their eased limbs." What then of this final stripping, of this complete cleansing? The more one thinks about it, the worse it becomes. He got through so easily. One moment it seemed to be all our world. The scream of bombs, the fall of houses, the stink and taste of high explosive on the lips and in the lungs, the feet burning with weariness, the heart cold with horrors, the brain reeling, the legs aching, and the next moment all this was gone. Gone like a bad dream never again to be of any account. Did you mark how naturally, as if he had been born for it, the earth-born vermin entered this new life? How all his doubts became in the twinkling of an eye ridiculous? I know what the creature was saying to itself. Yes, of course, it was always like this. All horrors have followed the same course, getting worse and worse, and forcing you into a kind of bottleneck, till at the very moment when you thought you must be crushed, behold, you were out of the narrows, and all was suddenly well. The extraction hurt more and more, and then the tooth was out. The dream became a nightmare, and then you woke. You die, and you die, and you die, and then you are beyond death. How could I have ever doubted it? And he saw not only them, he saw him. This animal this thing begotten in a bed could look on Him. What is blinding and suffocating fire to you is now cool light to Him. It is clarity itself and that wears the form of the Son of Man. 
This is a beautiful expression, poetic expression of what it means to have an inheritance that's kept for us. In so many ways, Jesus is our promised land. He is the inheritance. He is the fulfillment. And to get to be reunited with Him in that way, so when we face various trials, when our marriages seem over, when our friendships seem done, when life seems to be total failure, when sorrows like sea billows roll, there is something else we get to look to, an inheritance that cannot be taken from us. It is, it is imperishable, it is unfading, it is undefiled, and it's kept for us in a safe place. We're going to sing a song here in a moment, written by someone who got this. At least at the time they wrote this, they got this. When Horatio Spafford, a lawyer and a businessman, was married to Anna, and they had five children, their son had died of pneumonia in 1871, and for most people, the death of a child like that is the greatest tragedy most families ever face. Then in addition to that, Spafford lost his business in the Great Chicago Fire, also of 1871, and slowly the family began to recover. But in 1873, when the family decided to head to Europe on a French ocean liner, at the last minute, Spafford himself was required to stay behind for business reasons, and Anna and their four daughters went on ahead. After four days, the vessel collided with another ship and sank. A sailor in a rowboat looking for survivors found a woman floating on a piece of wreckage. It was Anna Spafford. Nine days later, when she finally arrived in Wales, she sent a telegraph, quote, saved alone. What shall I do? She was overheard as saying, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. Someday I will understand why. See, that's a guarding faith. I don't understand, but I trust. Spafford took the first voyage to England, and allegedly he penned the song while on the voyage. Some say he started it when going over the place where his four daughters had drowned. The next section we're going to read and study is this, starting in verse 6. And this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Stand with me and let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray that even when we face the trials and the hardships of this world, sometimes created by our own fleshly and sinful tendencies, sometimes by the sin of others, Lord, teach us to humbly recognize that we need an inheritance beyond anything we could save up here. No matter how good or bad we have it, Lord, I pray that we would look to something outside of ourselves. I pray we would look to You, the gospel purchased by Your Son, empowered through Your Holy Spirit, and that we would learn to live in a place submitted to You, the God who has spoken. And that we would find the freedom that that brings to live the crazy exciting life that only the freedom of knowing that there's an inheritance that I can't, I can't waste and I can't fritter away and I can't get my hands on because it's kept in heaven by your power in your safe place and that your power could create a faith in me to guard that inheritance. Father, I thank you for the truth of your power in our lives. So I pray, Lord, that anyone here who has never accepted that free gift would be able to do so today. The gift that you offer of that power and that faith. 
Thank you, Father. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. So I pray you'll respond however the Spirit leads, um, that whatever the Spirit is speaking to you, if you've already been through the Welcome Home team and you're ready to come join this dysfunctional family, you can do that during this invitation. Um, anything else, if you need to come pray here or pray someplace else, whatever it is that you need to go to somebody and make something right with them, don't wait. Do it now. Bring them up here and pray together, whatever the Spirit leads, as we sing this song written by Spafford.